stereotype that women are spenders and frivolous spenders, which this is, these are the narratives that we tend to believe. Which are all untrue. Yeah. Welcome to Power Up, a podcast full of insights for women that lead. Hosted by Nat and Kristen from PowerSuit, we're on a mission to amplify your impact as a leader. Join us each week and we'll share with you what's shaping our future from AI to Gen Z. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thanks for listening. We love to see our audience grow. At PowerSuit, we're committed to giving you the tools and confidence to build a career on your terms. And today's episode is no different. You know the saying, money makes the world go round. And it turns out it does buy us happiness. Or at least the things that we can buy to make us happy. Like time off, having some financial security means not worrying about bills, it gives you a bit of breathing room, it takes it off your mind, it enables you to make better decisions. Mm. I remember early in Hatch, which was an investing platform, I went along to talk at a university event and it was full of guys, funnily enough, and one person had pulled his girlfriend along and I could just tell from the moment that I arrived, she was resistant. You know when there's someone in the audience who's like on their phone or... And eventually, Not very bravely, she put her hand up mm. when I, I think I'd asked a question. And she just said, this just isn't relevant to me. I, I just don't care about money. Yeah, and right. I was like, okay, well, what do you care about? And she said, well, I want to study. I want to travel. I want to look after my family. And I said, well, what will enable you to do that? And I just saw this look of shock on her face. <laughs> and actually later she mm. came up to me and just said this was a life-changing talk for her because Aww. she had just, like many women, completely disengaged from money, yeah. going, it's not relevant to me, it's not my thing, it's a bunch of guys in a room talking about it. But when she learned that, which is a t- trick I used a lot more after that, to engage women with, where are you at? What do you care about? That mm. actually, like it or not, it would be great to overthrow the system, obviously, but money makes the world go round and we need to learn about it. Yeah, and I think we as women like to help others and be generous, which is great. You cannot be generous without wealth. If you mm. build it, you can be as generous as you'd like to be. But there's a thing about it uh, makes us feel greedy, which is why we don't talk about money. There's a lot of shame associated with it. And we don't want to be greedy people, but actually we do deserve to get you know, paid what we're worth and to have great futures and to have choice and freedom. And we do deserve that. And we do deserve control over our lives, which as we know it, is kind of controlled by money. But when you look around at the world who has the money, it does really make you think that idea of being greedy, wanting more money is Mm. probably been instilled in us for a reason you look at the people who have the money they all look fairly similar (laughs) most of the time and they're buying formula one teams they're buying baseball teams they're sending rockets to space in an arms race up flying like i would Mm. much prefer we had the money i think um, even years ago i read a microfinancing book and this it was called banker to the poor great book and he said he never gave money to non-groups and to groups that didn't have women because women made smarter choices and they looked after their community and their families with the money and so I would prefer we all had it because we'd make much cooler decisions. Great well let's give people the confidence uh, about money and so we're going to chat on five ways to boost our financial resilience. The first is money narratives. We're going to talk about the stories we tell ourselves. The second is we want everyone to learn about money. The third is 
to know your worth. The fourth is how to put your money to work. It should be working as hard as you. And the final one is how to build financial resilience. So let's chat on those, but starting with the stories we tell ourselves and the narratives in our head about money. Well, I have a lot of thoughts about this because the financial system and the money system wasn't built for us and mm. we have actively been excluded from it from most generations so it wasn't very long ago that women couldn't buy couldn't get a credit card or mm. couldn't buy a house without like their dad's permission to get a loan so so we have been actively told for generation after generation that money is not our domain and it's not for us which means even today where we have pretty much, well, people in a lot of countries uh, have the same access to money and tools around money as men. We don't believe that we do, and we don't believe it yeah. is for us still, yeah. and it's so deep-rooted. And yeah. fair enough, it's it's yeah. always been the case before. And if you were to Google men and money, you'd get men in pinstripes and, you know, money guns and men on Wall Street and, and just these very successful-looking men. And when you Google women and money, you often get a picture of a housewife sitting, <laughs> looking over a bunch of receipts, looking very confused. You get women out shopping with shopping bags. So that reinforces this stereotype that women are spenders and frivolous spenders, which this is, these are the narratives that we tend to believe. Which are all untrue. Yeah. And that was a stat that blew my mind a while ago, yeah. learning that women, obviously on average, earn less than men, but women earning the average salary had more saved Savings. than men. So we actually spend less than men. But we've told all our lives, all these myths about women and money. And I remember even not that long ago, going to a party with a bunch of people in construction and mm. it was just before black friday and you know one of the old white men pulled me aside and went oh you must be excited about the black friday sales and i said yes we're launching our investing platform sale that day <laughs> because i was just like why do you insist on painting a story that's so untrue yeah. about women yeah. and we've all believed it as a yeah. result and yeah. i think it's such a shame because i remember in the girls that invest book and she was told they were talking a lot about how when women haven't had access to the financial system we have very creatively found ways to win outside of it yeah. so that was in many ways how the jewelry industry became a thing because jewelry was a way that women could accumulate wealth to pass on to their daughters so that their daughters had a pass out of a bad situation yeah. so not only have we been excluded from the financial industry we found ways to succeed regardless yeah, which means that. we're extremely good at money yeah. we don't spend as much we have had to find ways to earn we've had to break through all sorts of barriers even yeah. from our parents generation so we should actually flip these money narratives so far on their yes. head and yes. recognize where the powerhouses when it comes to yeah money. i love it and i love when we're going to get to learn how to put your money to work because that's one area because of our exclusion that is not a myth is that we're probably not putting as enough of it to work uh, because of a number of reasons probably some money narratives about security and safety that women have too much in their savings or their bank account and it's actually not working for them so we're going to get to that but do you want to talk about what's your first money memory net because yeah. quite often that can help us figure out what are my feelings about it? Because they can be quite negative for some people. Mm. And that can cause a lifelong financial train wreck if we kind of don't sort out those stories in our head about it. I wonder if I should do Nat's parenting corner every week because <laughs> I think people will love it. Um, I think mm. the first 
one of the first money memories I had, and I was thinking about it this morning, I had tragic taste as a child, but I was an extreme saver. Ah. And I saved up, I think it was 40 pounds, I was living in London at the time, to buy this hideous porcelain doll. And my sisters both would spend a lot of their pocket money. Yeah, did we earn pocket money then? Probably, very small amount at... um, the dairy buying chocolate bars but I did not spend a cent because I was obsessed with this hideous porcelain doll and one of the things that made me realize is as an auntie now I want to give these children everything Mm. and instead by not giving me that porcelain doll which they should have stopped me buying in the first place terrible parenting (laughs) that I learned very early I, I would have been about 10 or 11 the power of saving and of working towards a goal and of getting what I wanted even if what I wanted was a disaster and a disgusting hideous thing that I found recently mum has stored Mm. it all these years probably uh to teach me a lesson but that that to me I had very early positive interactions with money and saw it. it very much from day one as a tool to get what I wanted I could see money accumulating slowly at that stage and being able to use it to make my life better which I think is quite an unusual first money memory yeah and I don't think either of my sisters probably had it either yeah interesting so it is quite personal isn't it yeah yeah because it is the stories we build up in our heads I remember for me there's probably more shame only because or the feelings of shame and that I'm not worthy of money because uh, my parents divorced when I was five and I remember moving into uh, this house not a very nice one compared to the one we had been in but from then it just felt like we were on this crazy budget like Mm. everything and I still went to these really nice neighborhood schools like in Mm. nice neighborhoods and so I was going to school with all these people that had things or that was my perception and we didn't all of a sudden so that's when I started having to go to secondhand stores and the shame of that now it's cool like my daughter goes to she chooses it's like they choose to it's cool when you're forced to when no one else is it's embarrassing and there's a lot of pressure around what you're wearing and the brands I remember having to like go through racks and racks and racks of used clothing to find the guests clothing now granted my personality would have been one that I had to keep up with my peers like I could have met but that was a story in my head is that I didn't have all of a sudden they had and we had to go to different means so that I felt like I could fit in and isn't it funny how your brain tells you those stories of almost shame versus how amazing am I to be able to go in and create this life on a much bigger budget it was just not you're right and then I did so great like you're right and that I got by on less but it was just that it was hard like I knew what had to go into trying to keep up with everyone else like they could go on school trips and there was um, one that I couldn't because of money and that's really tough when you want socially to be with your group and and I would imagine back in those days because in those days in Wellington in New Zealand yeah there wasn't so much understanding of wealth inequality or it wasn't so much uh what's the word um empathy around it so I I still it's funny because no one else would have noticed it but a a woman who I went to school with mentioned it recently to me that the teacher at one stage said oh well your money mother hasn't paid for the school trip so you can't go in front of the class and nowadays that would just never happen that's terrible I don't remember at the time even hearing it because it was just not something that I would have had a stigma against but for her that that shame she has carried so fortunately these days there's less of it but one of the things I read recently that was really interesting is wealth inequality is so much more more painful than extreme poverty 
if you're all in it together in a way and it's and just psychological impacts of watching people have more than you is far harder than having less but everyone being on the same level yeah that's true I I definitely felt and I know that a lot of psychological journals have said if you experience scarcity even if it's perceived because we were fed like I never went hungry and like you said I wasn't we weren't we wouldn't have been considered poor but I did feel oh I didn't say that yeah yeah no 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 but like yeah (laughs) But um, but I do. Oh, you mean like compared to people who yeah, are literally yeah, $3 yeah, 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 yeah. So yes, I was yes, in the yes. thing where um, those people that experience and are and recognize scarcity as childhood actually have really unhealthy relationships with money as they grow up, which I did. Because you're so, seeing everyone all yeah. around you. Well, and you don't feel like you're worthy. Yeah. Because what is it like? I didn't have control over that. That was my parents' choice to divorce, yeah. and all of a sudden, single mom who was a pot, like raising us on a pottery. Uh, business salary or lack thereof her entrepreneurial um, spirit so there was this sense of shame around money it wasn't for me I wasn't worthy of it so you start to self-sabotage and there's a lot of studies that show that when I did get my early paychecks when I started working I'd go and spend them not because I was a frivolous woman spender and needed to shop but I got that dopamine hit that I didn't get that almost scarred me as a childhood like it was just that I felt good and I got the dopamine hit from the thing that I never could buy as a kid, like the mm. new shirt or the whatever. So I definitely fell into a yuck trap, which thankfully I'm... Which I actually of. imagine is not that unusual, regardless of your parents' financial position. I think in most places, yeah. especially in the Western world, there's always a group that looks better yeah. off. I, I remember at early on in school, and honestly, I don't know if it's just me. I, I think I grew up quite oblivious to stuff, mm. but I do remember there was always girls who'd wear... Like, all our clothes came from, like, Kmart and the... Um, I just didn't know that that wasn't a thing. I'm a bit useless. Yeah. But I do remember there being a bunch of girls who had clothes from, like, really fancy places. I just assumed they were incredibly wealthy. Looking back, their parents probably just prioritized that more. It's just yeah, funny what the perceptions are that, that you jump on and then that make you feel lesser than yeah. rather than... Yes. Those money narratives are so painful and they are so damaging and it's worth thinking about them so do do we have an action I loved going back to our first memories because that is what starts your journey with money and how you relate to money if you don't have enough of it if you don't understand it a lot of women go I am not good at math if there's a math association about yourself that you're not good with numbers which little girls can get or feel then you all of a sudden have this narrative. And so we went back to our early memories because that often starts to form our relationship with money over the years. So I think everyone start to think about the stories you tell yourself about money. Is it related to math or if you're worthy of it or if it's greedy or whatever, it probably relates back to these experiences we had Mm -hmm. and start to, so the action is go back, figure it out. What are the stories you're telling yourself and really challenge them? And I think a very easy way to do that is mindfulness, right? That throughout the day, and I used to say this a lot to people at Hatch, pay attention to how many times a day you think about money and the emotions that are attached to that yes like how often do you think oh no how's how am I going to pay the grocery bill this week or oh gosh what happens with school fees or what Mm. are those what are those thoughts that come into your head that are really related to money how do you think they got there what what led to them being there and what are the emotions and how much time because one of the things when we talk about changing these money mindsets is 
we all think, oh, money doesn't matter to me. I don't think about it. When you actually prove to yourself how much time you spend thinking about money, you might be quite motivated to change and yeah. minimize that a lot. Uh, uh, minimize the noise, yourself. the negative yeah. noise. I agree. So yeah. the best way to do that is step two, which is learning about Lear- money. Well, <laughs> I love it because I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I love it. What is and it, actually, jinx? Personal jinx? <laughs> it's turning it on its head and thinking of it in a positive way and that this is something we can participate in, mm-hmm. right? And money, to me, I um, really liked this whole analogy about game design across a lot of the work that I do. Mm. But money is a game designer's dream. And what game designers, when you're talking about video games and computer games, what they try and do is create a game that's very easy to learn and extremely hard to master. So it's very easy for people to pick up quickly and get joy from, but that there Mm. is a never-ending level of levels that you can get to so that you're constantly being challenged and getting more joy and money to me is exactly the same the basics are so much easier than most people think to master Mm. you can get confident with the basics so quickly but yet no one in the world I would suggest has actually mastered it Mm. and even one of my favorite stories is a guy called Warren Buffett who is well known to be the best investor of all time. Mm. He's a great guy. He actually probably epitomizes the joy of money in that he's, I imagine, a multi-billionaire. He still lives in the same house he's lived in with his wife. They still drive, I think it's a Toyota Corolla. His view on money is it's the joy and fun and investing rather than the private jets and stuff, which is something we think a lot about. Anyway, Warren Buffett, he's an idol to most investors. Right before the pandemic, right before the world closed down and a lot of airlines went bust, he invested heavily in all the airlines. And so I think that should give people And he also didn't invest in tech way back when. So he missed the whole tech thing. Yeah, he's made a bunch of mistakes. And the great thing about money is no one's mastered it. There's so much to learn. And while you could look at that and easily think, oh, well, if he can't do it, how can I? He's fine. Yeah, I know. He's got billions. You just have to be make the right decision more often than you make the wrong decision. And it's pretty easy. Yeah. And you touched on earlier that there's been this we've been excluded from, you know, Wall Street or the share markets because, well, for a number of reasons, we weren't in the workforce, we weren't making the money. Now that we're making the money, how is it? that you, you know, we know so much, we've mastered our respective domains, Mm. and we almost have to start learning from scratch again and be beginners and be curious about this without feeling dumb. Because things like crypto bros and financial advisors and Wall Street stockbroker, like it feels like such a subculture, a closed room, and they use language to exclude. Absolutely. Yeah, and so this just reinforces we are not part of their world. We don't have to be hobbyists or take on investing as like eight hours a day, which is what these people do. We just need to know enough to know how to do very simple things with our money, maximize what comes out the other end, both with our what we're making and how we're putting it to work for us, which we're going to talk about, and then just get on with our lives. I agree. And the yeah. great news about that is money is the lazy person sport, and which is why I love it so much, is that actually the less you touch it, the less you do with it, yes. the, the better you tend to do with it. Love so that. all those crypto bros are probably shooting themselves in the foot a lot more than you would if you started investing. And the other thing I think when you talk about this world is not designed for us is that it's so intimidating. But I, again, remember having a conversation conversation with a financial advisor this dude sat down beside me he was trying to impress me with all this financial jargon and blah 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 and give me your money and I'll invest it and I'm so great and I was like great how much do you have invested and he's like oh oh well I'm just sort of getting started out so I don't really have enough money to get started yet and I was like 
Wow, it was such a great example of how easy it is to just assume that everyone else knows more than you. Yeah. But actually, all he had was a qualification. Yeah. He and, and a qualification can be useful, but practical experience is also useful. Mm. And so you just have to realize behind all the jargon, behind all the suits and behind all these fast talking confident men is actually not a lot of knowledge a lot of the time yeah. and you can or just very, the basics that we can pick just up just the basics that mm. you can pick up yeah. just as easily it's becoming harder and harder to get actual financial mm. advice yeah. because the government regulators quite rightly are concerned about an individual telling another individual what to do and that other individual blindly following so while that has been the case in the past and probably left to lead to a few terrible disasters for people we are actually now living in a world where it's more important than ever to take control yourself and learn know because there's actually no one out there, quite rightly, who will give you as much information as they used to. Yeah. Thankfully, there's lots of places where you can go and learn about money. But if you're in a relationship, uh, for example, as I am with my husband, Kyle came out with a finance and economics degree and I came out with a slightly different business degree. And so I always felt like I was gonna hand the reins to him in our marriage. So probably the first 10 years of our marriage, he did uh, all of the, I would say budgeting. We had spreadsheets of where everything was and big file folders. This is back in the day of paper. And we, we would have all of our financial stuff stored. Now, if, Kyle were to be hit by a bus, I would probably have got myself into a little bit of a pinch because I didn't know or grasp or understand where all that stuff was, even where some of his investments were. Thankfully, have through the process of learning about money, been able to contribute to those conversations. I have a better handle. We have shared documents now and know where everything is and we make these choices together. So even though I might not spend as much time on it as it as him. I feel that's my choice. I feel very much empowered to where mm -hmm. our money is going. And so know where your stuff is. And with learning about money, I like to think of it as just investing in yourself. We invest in our health now. I know you went on a big walk this morning. We invest in our beauty. We invest in how we look and how we feel and, and our mental wellness. Financial wellness is a huge contributor. You talked about this negative connotations about us feeling yuck because of money and some of our narratives we're telling ourselves. Well, investing in ourselves to turn those narratives around, to learn about money and to start as a beginner again can only take 10, 20, 30 minutes a day or an hour a week. And there's so many great resources out there to do that. What are some of your faves? Well, I think the other thing with that, that investment, one of the biggest barriers for a lot of women, like hearing your story now about start stepping in and, and joining forces on money conversations and money management at home, is that a lot of women, I can imagine, because I've heard them say it so many times, mm. oh, so boring. Yeah. One of the greatest things about money, and I'm sure you've experienced it when you went through this process, is the the hardest part is the first part of like convincing yourself to just take that first yes. step. But money is one of the most rewarding givers of, yeah. of feedback when you step in and look after it. So it's actually, you don't have to convince yourself to spend 30 minutes a day for the rest of your life. You just have to convince yourself to spend that first 30 minutes. And once you do that, you will probably have gotten enough of a reward from that, that you'd have learned on. something that really changes the perception or that you've had starting to put money away or whatever it is. It feeds back in a way that we have experienced countless times 
that gets people quite addicted to doing better things with money. So, and what are what are your favorite resources? Ah, uh, yeah. So the fav- so a couple of things that are books that I have heard time and time again. I actually haven't read the Barefoot Investor, but we've had. Have you read it? I read it and I didn't like it. I but so many people like it, and for me, I just felt like it was not patronizing, but it was almost too. I don't know. It was too sensitive. I don't like sappy books, and it uh, felt sappy. Like well, I much prefer. I'm quite. Well, I want I clinical books. Like right. Okay. So if you're if you're into sap, although I think he has. Firstly, he has pod. Uh, I think a blog as well, but also probably a bunch of people who ripped of off his work, yeah. and you can just read the. Sh- I did rich dad, or... poor dad, and I liked that. Oh, I did yeah. that ten years. See, I, I did it ten years ago, and I but liked both it. Both of those are yeah. books that people have told yeah. us about That's that right. worked for them. Yeah. Tales of a Financial Hot Mess, I think Francis is the name Cook. of a book from Francis yep. Cook, who's a yep. Kiwi. And then there's Girls That Invest, who've released a book. So yeah, those are all different, probably very similar themes, but maybe slightly different approaches for different styles yeah. of learning, I suppose. Yeah. But one thing, if you actually read all of them, you'd probably find after two, you'd be like, wait a second, this feels like a lot of repetition because actually the fundamentals exactly. are pretty standard yeah. and pretty similar. Yeah, Podcasts. Francis Cook has a podcast as well. Girls that invest have a podcast. There's a the curve. What's the curve, the curve has a podcast. There's an Australian one Ma- um, called uh, She's on the Money. Yeah, that's probably I've listened to it a few times. It felt to me that it was more for maybe women in their twenties, early thirties. But I still got quite a lot out of that. All of them are aimed at people like you. They're not aimed at crypto bros. So they will be very surprising in how easy and relatable Delightful. and delightful they yeah, are great and so our action is actually for this one we thought have a money date with your partner or friend so don't end up the road i was going with where i would have no idea what to do if kyle was hit by a bus but have a money date with your partner to talk about money your early memories some of the stories take back control learn about money um and or a friend a trusted friend and mm-hmm. start to talk about money because or think a that's bunch important. of friends get yeah. together a bunch of friends and chat and we created some money cards last year the year before oh, yeah. which we'll link to i think we can in the podcast yeah notes, great that are great money There's conversation turn starters. one turn a card over and use it to guide your conversation and do it regularly and yeah. we found through launching those cards Again, so many people found it really easy. There was very, it was such a small thing to be able to do that had big impacts. So learning about money, not as hard as you think. Learning and talking. I love it. Now we're moving into know your worth in the third, which is really about understanding the value you bring to the market and being able to negotiate that so you're paid what you're worth. Now, we were going to go into a big thing on this. Well, we weren't actually, because we knew we've covered this in episode one. So if everybody could go back to our inaugural podcast, which is all about negotiating your salary, we've given great tips on how to negotiate, how to find out what you're worth. Just go and listen to that. But we've had great feedback on that, ain't it? Absolutely. And one of the things that brings me the most delight is the number of women. And there's actually been a handful of women who have proactively reached out to us which is lovely we love Mm. that who said as a result of listening to that podcast it was probably very good timing they were either going into a negotiation or looking for a new job and they went I'm putting on my big girl pants and I'm gonna negotiate (laughs) and often they hadn't even negotiated before and that to me converts to thousands if not tens Uh, of thousands of dollars that this community has gained from listening to a 40 minute podcast this is how easy it is to learn about money and to improve your money skills love it so we're going to skip through to the fourth point which is 
building your financial resilience. And if you're in a partnership or if you're in a marriage, please make sure you know where all your stuff is. So chat to your partner about where are all of the investments, get a spreadsheet going, figure out where things are living, including insurance policies, which leads me to insurance, part of financial resilience. I am insured up the wazoo. Like I've got so much insurance now. I always have, I've always, like I love taking risks and uh, with work opportunities and startups and stuff. But what I don't like taking risks in is I wanna protect my downside. So like, Mm -hmm. what if, the worst case scenario thing happens and my partner passes away or whatever, I wanna make sure I'm not stuck with a mortgage or I wanna make sure that if I get hit by a bus, I have time to recoup in terms. And so all of my insurance protects that. What 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 are you, so I feel like I'm probably overinsured, but I am okay with that. Yeah, that is like I, a I cost know. of living for me. That's a, that's a, whether or not you're overinsured is complicated because it's really just peace of mind, I know. right? And, and, and you're protecting right. that downside. You're right. And yeah. in last week's episode, we were talking about focus on the upside. Yeah. And one of the things we mentioned there is thinking about worst case scenario and protecting against actual worst case scenario. Yeah. It gives you the ability to take more risks because you can say, this happens or this happens or this happens, I'm I know. covered. I know. I know there are... An, insurance brokers yes. who I've never used one. I've My mortgage broker actually helped me with some insurance ones. Mm. But it is worth thinking about all the things that you need to protect yourself against. Yeah. And insurance is this really weird industry where you're kind of annoyed that you have to pay for it and you don't get any value out of it. But then you're even more annoyed when you actually get value out of it because that means something's gone wrong. Yeah. But it is very much, it's almost like gambling of how much risk do you want to mitigate? And it can start I mean, living living in a country full of volcanoes, floods, and earthquakes. I'm like, I'm just going to cover it. Like, we yeah. live on top of a massive fault. Like, I've got some insured insurance to make sure if our house gets destroyed, you just get a lump sum payment to go and rebuild your house. Probably not. Well, and it's the same with income protection but, because I am yeah. have always been a single lady with no yes. kids, and I never needed life insurance. I was like, if I die, I mean everyone will be absolutely devastated for at least a decade, but they won't be financially harmed as a result. Oh, that's so nice But of you. what I realized <laughs> is that that is just one of the continuum of those insurances. Yeah. I ended up getting trauma insurance, I think they yep. called it, which is if something stopped me working for three months, I would get a lump sum payment That's again, great. which would help me yeah. pay off debt, pay down my mortgage, whatever it was. And as a single person, that's that. I suppose there's just not a lot of podcasts and advice often for single women, but there is a lot that we should do to protect ourselves because you are the sole breadwinner. Yeah. And so if you lose your job, you don't have a partner looking after you you have to actually get all your stuff together and make sure you've got it you've got yourself protected so it is absolutely worth talking to a broker or banks they can i mean so many people can websites now i think sorted is quite a good website in new zealand i'm sure they're all around the world no absolutely worth it and then the second part of resilience is to actually build a financial safety net. Do you want to give a little bit of a description yeah, so of what that looks like? Yeah, so that's your, and you will have heard, your emergency fund. An emergency fund is just for that. It should not be invested. It should be sitting somewhere that you can access quite easily. So you shouldn't have to sell anything to get to your emergency fund. Now, I personally don't have like a set number of months. I think the going saying is have three months of living put away. I think away. they've removed that. Because that was way too intimidating. I would say so. Because I'm like, that is a lot of money Mm -hmm. having three months of living. Mm -hmm. Because, well, it just is. And so I, great. I'm glad they've removed that. I just have enough of 
it's probably just a mental cushion that I'm like, uh, if our fridge or our car, something were to happen, which stuff happens all the time, we've got um, a little bit of a buffer to work with that. But the way I've approached it from a very simple level is with my kids. And I say, what is the thing that if something happened, that would be the worst thing for you? Now, they don't work granted. And I know they don't have a mortgage and they don't well, have that. Well, they do work. They just don't have to Correct. look after themselves. That's right. They don't have to pay for everything. But for them, sadly, it's their phones. So I'm like, okay, what is it going to cost them to pay the insurance policy on our house, the deductible, to go and get their phones replaced should they get stolen or should they get dropped or whatever, which happens. And that is $250. So I'm like, that right now at this stage in your life is your emergency fund. So they had to work and save the 250. We've put it in savings accounts, which they have access to. Now they've got their buffer. If stuff goes wrong, what's the plan? Well, I presume before that, especially with being a parent of teenagers in this Mm. day and age, not having a phone is almost not necessarily very feasible because yeah. you have to stay in contact. The world's or not whatever. designed anymore, yeah. as much yeah. as we say it's not yeah. important. So if they didn't have that buffer, you would be stumping up the 250 and they wouldn't feel responsible at all Or it'd be damage. like, you owe me or whatever. Yeah. And, and I'm like, teaching no. that. And, and yeah. I think as you grow and become an adult, those things change. So when you are yeah. younger and you might have a older car that was cheaper, but it might have more expenses on it, Or as you get older and you're thinking, I have children and I need to look after them if I lose my job. There's a whole continuum again. And the key here is exactly why they've changed this, is not being intimidated by it and just going, what is an amount that I'm going to start with that if a basic emergency happens and then you can keep adding to That's it. Right. And I think one Every of the things... Every month, just siphon a little bit off. Absolutely. Just a little bit. And I, can say... I like thinking of this in, are you paying multinationals more than yourself? And that's like, you're probably paying Netflix. You might be playing, yeah. paying Uber. And it's like, if you are paying them more money, then you're siphoning into some sort of emergency fund or future you, which we'll get to next. Something's a little bit off. I get the joy. Netflix brings me lots of joy. Yes, so I'm so, willing to sacrifice. I would push back on that <laughs> with going back to the amount of time every day we spend worrying about money. Yeah. And that will bring you so much joy. What you're buying with your safety net is literally a safety net from worry. Yes. And so the more Love you it. have in it, the less you have to worry and you about can take things ri- And you wrong. can take risks. I did this great interview on Friday with a magazine that's talking about financial resilience for women leaders. So this is very timely, but it was all about how can women quit the job they don't like and go start a business? A lot of women are doing that, including us, Nat. And the only thing I could point to is we scraped together enough of a financial cushion so that we could do it. Absolutely. You know, that we could go and do something that we absolutely love, that we absolutely care about. The action on that is start. You can start by building up a lump sum and go, what would happen if I needed to pay an insurance excess, my car broke down, I had a health bill, whatever Mm. it is, like dentistry, fillings, all that sort of stuff. You can start by that. But the key thing with everything with money is small actions regularly. It's all about habits. So pay yourself first, take your Netflix subscription, double it, put half of it in an emergency fund and just keep that going. And as you'll note, the more it grows the more your f- the, the feelings of worry and anxiety shrink. Agreed. And that is the greatest gift you can give yourself because who's got time to spend worrying about stuff that we can solve quite easily? And the last one is put 
your money to work for future you. And this is something we care about a lot um, because we started an investing platform <laughs> and we found we did this great thing called Wine and Wealth Hey Nat, where we drank wine and talked about money, which I feel like we should have a glass of wine here. It really worked because again, it was, we just chatted about that investing isn't as hard as women have made it up to be because of the way society talks about it. and the bros at the barbecue talk about it and the latest hot deal. But do you know that women make the best investors? We have a number of traits that make us really good investors. And it's because we're considered, we're curious. So considered in that we kind of learn the upsides and downsides, like we learn enough about things and we take things seriously. We are risk aware, so we are aware of things go wrong. So likely when the person is like, hey, I've got this great opportunity and you should invest in it. We usually don't fall for things like that. Uh, we are disciplined, we trust in the process, which means when the markets tank or when something happens, we don't panic because we trust, like we have learned that over time the share markets grow. And so we just have to weather some of these bumps and they should come back and be okay, which is why our retirement funds are all in the share market. So women make exceptional investors. We're really savvy. Well, and I, I love that just little comment you made before of why our retirement funds all in the share markets, because I'm not sure if everyone is aware of that. Yeah. So many women say, I'm not an investor. I'm not interested in shares. Too risky, too this, too that. Mm. Your entire retirement fund <laughs> is probably in the share markets. And you for good an reason. Investor. And for good reason. Well, and this is often government mandated programs, yeah. right? And yeah. so the government's not hugely interested in risk and one of the light bulb moments for me when it came to investing is recognizing what risk actually meant mm. and it's largely just about how long it's going to take for your money to almost stabilize really mm. so how long you a lot of people say don't invest money you can't afford to lose you can't afford to lose your retirement savings you're already investing money you can't afford to lose it's don't invest money you can't afford to be without for a while yes. just like your emergency fund your investments should be things you absolutely don't touch and one of the great things they work well together once you have an emergency fund it means you don't need to touch your investments because you've got your safety net set yeah. aside so your joy of investing is small habits regularly putting money aside regularly and being lazy and not touching it uh, and keeping it super simple eh? like we don't if you don't want to learn a heck of a lot about companies you don't have to invest in individual company stocks i keep it really simple in that i have a, my retirement fund which money goes away every month into that i don't even have to think about it to the future i know it's really well diversified the term they use which is they've spread my money over thousands of companies and then I do that in a fund like my retirement fund is locked and so then I do that in an unlocked fund so if I needed to get at it in three to five years or whatever like I could but it is got probably a couple hundred companies or thousands of companies in that fund and so just by putting a few hundred dollars into that every month it's spread over all of those companies and I just like I'm in the share markets that's me invested and that's me done. Absolutely. And yeah. I think when people talk about, again, easy to start, hard to master. When people talk about the share markets, you can get right into the nitty gritty of analyzing any one mm. of the, what is it, five, 6,000 at least companies listed on share markets globally. That feels overwhelming. Some people want to do that. We don't. There are funds, like Kristen just talked about, that will package up all these companies. So 
One fund actually invests in every single company on the share markets in the world. So you literally just need to make one deposit into one of these funds and your money goes vump. If you think of your money as eggs, yeah. each dollar is an egg and it's spread across all these different companies. So for example, if one of them goes bust and it's a disaster and it's a global news and everyone's panicking, that's one of the thousand companies your money that's spread right. across. So it really has very little impact on yeah. your life. And there's tons of investing platforms that you can join very cheaply take control of your money and make your investment choices and we loved the saying is learn by doing is just start with a little bit yeah watch what happens get comfortable with it and then you can increase we it. have that money narrative thing we have these really weird psychological barriers that we are happy to go out and spend fifty dollars on dinner but the idea of investing fifty dollars and the prospect of in quotation marks losing it is terrifying to yeah, us so it's yeah. worth examining those beliefs and thinking well if i take this fifty dollars think of it as education money you've now tricked your brain back into going oh well this is just a spend an expense then it doesn't really matter if you lose it yeah. but also when it comes to investing when people talk about losing it there's all these horrible myths when it comes to investing but one of them is people lose everything and one thing to be very very clear on is you never make or lose money until you sell your shares. So if you put money in, what like what's happening in the share markets at the moment, yeah. a bunch of people put money in a year or so ago where the share markets were at highs and every share was worth quite a lot of money mm -hmm. and now those same shares are not worth so much money so they could have dropped in price by 20%. You could quite happily walk around telling everyone you've lost tons of money in the share markets. You still own that share. Nothing has changed. The thing you own is still exactly the same. It's a slice of a company. Over time, that the price of that share might go right back up. You've literally not made or lost anything in that entire time. You bought a share. You own the share. You might have just felt like it, and, but you And haven't. I think we were talking in the weekend about house prices that people often think housing is so stable as an investment. Yeah. But in a lot of places around the world, house prices have dropped 20% yeah, or something. Exactly. And the yeah. reason we don't feel that same emotional connection is we're not looking at the dollar price of a house every day. Yeah. It's just invisible so to us to we buy ourselves. So Treat shares the same. Yeah, I agree. And we spoke about a lot of books and courses. Those are some great places to go and learn and start if you haven't already. If you have amazing well done um, please feel free to comment on any tips on any of our platforms where we connect with our audience so as for our ultimate action we just want everyone to start today to pay yourself first treat yourself like a bill so just like when you get paid you're paying all of your bills treat yourself and your future you as one as well as your um, top priority as bill. your top priority. that's from rich dad poor dad actually isn't it yes maybe i don't know <laughs> i can't remember i was like 18 um but like whatever you can afford start small set aside the amount you can and that you can go uh without for a while hopefully you know you don't have to touch it but it's there should you need it and so just start today really is the big action Absolutely. And the other action for us, five star rating for our podcast, please. Yeah. I love one. I've given us one. <laughs> I think I'm goal? the only one. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> because I, what I, I understood doing some research over the weekend <laughs> is the more five star ratings, the more they promote it. Oh, so we want this to grow. And, and even just talking us. about pay negotiation, if we can get that handful of women up to hundreds or thousands of women negotiating pay, that actually starts to have a real meaningful impact on the wealth of women. So please help us get to that level of impact because 
that would be really cool for yes. us. I was saying in the weekend, how cool if eventually it becomes like, I'm a member of Power Suit and that means something to employers and where they're like, oh no, this lady knows what she's doing. I love it. I've got to take her Please seriously. give us a rating, but also visit powersuit.com where you can check out our other great tools and resources and we'll catch you next time. 